Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents... Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. This is the X. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you just fucking ate the microphone, dude. How are you, Bruce Pritchard? What's going on, my friend? My God, if I was any better, I'd be, I don't know, without a computer, but what the hell? I'm great. Last week, we did the NWO and the WWE. Uh, we've got some follow-up stuff here. Maybe more follow-up than we normally have, but that Kurt Angle one probably set a record. Uh, real quick, some corrections. Uh, people could not wait to point out that I screwed up my towns on the Scott Hall in the freezer skit with uh, Steve Austin. You. Yeah, even uh, even I am not without fault. I screwed it up. Uh, I got the wrong town there. And I got the draft order backwards last week when we were going over who got drafted to what in the very first uh, draft with Flair and Vince. Uh, let's talk about some other stuff, Bruce, because the uh, something else we got taken the task for last week, Bruce, uh, was where we joked that after the NWO attacked Steve Austin, uh, and his knee with uh, hammers, cinder blocks, and all kinds of craziness. He comes out on the next show with the wrong knee taped up. We thought that was hysterical. Lots of folks online pointed out that that's not actually how it happened. Hammers, cinder blocks, and craziness, baby. Listen, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. If we rolling, we just go with it, baby. Just go on with it. It's all good. Well, I'm not mad at it. It was a fun bit, and uh, I don't regret it. I did see a few folks dispute your claim as to whether or not Hogan went home to get his red and yellow stuff after WrestleMania and before Raw. Some other folks said that this didn't happen at all, while some say Vince sent Hogan to do this before WrestleMania 18. What say you? Uh, After the next night. You mean the next, the, next I mean morning. the next day, the next day, but yeah. So the people who say that Hogan was sent home before WrestleMania, cause he wasn't sure if he was going to have him in the red and yellow with the rock. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's incorrect. Yes. And people who say that, well, he didn't go home and get it because he didn't wear the red and yellow the next day. Doesn't mean that he didn't go get it. Correct. Uh, there's also rumor out there that during his WrestleMania 18 match with Hogan, the rock tried to change the finish on the fly and asked Hogan to go over instead, uh, to your knowledge, did rock ask for that? I mean, not that there would have been any reason to discuss it after the fact, but does that sound like something that's plausible? At least that the rock judges the crowd and says, dude, screw this. You got to go over. 
Uh, not to my knowledge. I don't know if that. I don't know if that happened in the ring or not. But to my knowledge, it did not. Uh, someone made mention of this, and I kind of forgot it until they jogged my memory. After the whole Hogan driving a semi into the ambulance bit, Hogan says they were going to quote lay the smack down on his crippled ass. And obviously, times are different now, and you could never say that in 2017. But do you remember there being any discussion about that line? And if not, do you remember when? people's sensitivities changed within the company in regards to stuff like that uh are you making reference to the word crippled yes probably i think there was always a sensitivity there but at the same time there was still that edginess it's probably one of those that just got by us let me ask when i when i said that did you think i was asking a question as to whether or not people would be offended by the word smackdown ass or lay ass but hey for a long time they couldn't say ass so in 2002 wwe you thought i was asking you a question about the word ass well basic basing it on where they are today no it's people say i ask stupid questions folks they say i ask stupid would you fucking hear this shit well you know uh some folks wanted us to touch on hogan walking out his stuff with lesnar's last title run Guys, we're not going anywhere. We're going to cover that. That show is coming to a poll near you. Believe it or not, we're coming up on the 15th year, the 15th anniversary of that happening. That happened all the way back in 2002. So I guess April, May, somewhere in there, Hogan's 2002 run will be on the poll. Uh, a couple more things about Kevin Nash. Hogan Hogan is a subject probably is, <laughs> is good for at least 20 shows for us oh minimum i mean hogan 87 hogan 88 hogan 89 hogan 90 hogan 91 hogan 92 i mean there's tons of stuff we could do with hogan um couple notes about kevin nash we got hit with this a lot do you remember kevin nash being hot at the rock uh for referring to him as quote big daddy bitch on raw no uh, lots of rumor and innuendo out there that Nash was super fired up about that because it was not in the script, and he felt like that The Rock or one of the writers snuck it in, and he was made to look like a, a fool because he couldn't combat him or didn't feel like it was scripted. But he has challenged since that if you put a live mic in his hand and one in The Rock's hand, then you could really have something special, insinuating that he could hang with The Rock on the mic. Would you agree? Uh, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to see it. I think everybody would. A couple more things uh, about WrestleMania 18 to touch on. Uh, There's lots of talk out there that the WWE made a conscious decision uh, that Scott Hall would give Steve Austin a better match, but maybe there was some question as to whether or not he could actually perform. And if Hall was not in condition to perform, they could always pivot to Austin facing Nash instead, with the idea being... Just have Steve feud with the NWO, and then if you know Hall can't make the show for whatever reason, Nash just steps in, and we still get the payoff we were looking for because it's Austin versus the NWO. Do you remember there being a conscious effort to have a plan B for Scott Hall by having Kevin Nash in the on-deck circle rather than in a feature match that show? No, the idea was obviously for the NWO to have issues with Rock and Austin, so those guys could – 
be interchangeable at some point. We wanted Steve to work with all the guys in the NWO. We wanted Rock to work with all the guys in the NWO. You had to pick somebody first and go there I, first. I'm not arguing we that. Felt, I, I think we, this criticism, though, or this suggestion is that Nash doesn't have a match, so there's got to be a reason he doesn't have a match. There's just what there there just wasn't no, and we did feel that for that first outing in WrestleMania that Steve and Scott would probably match up better than Steve and Nash. Well, I don't think anybody can argue that, but I do feel like you guys left Kevin Nash in the on deck circle just so you could sleep a little easier at night. Uh, I don't know how we missed this, but back around this time, the WWE released a video that I believe David Sahadi oh. produced. It's set to the uh, Kid Rock song, Lonely Road of Faith. And Folks, uh, go ahead. Do your thing, man. Tell them what to do, Conrad. Well, it's going to catch a lot of wrestling fans in the fields, and I think it's one of the best videos that WWE ever produced. So what I want you to do right now is go ahead and hit pause on the podcast, throw it in your Google machine, Lonely Road of Faith, WWE, Kid Rock, and uh, watch that video and then come back to the podcast. Even if you've seen it before, go watch it again. Uh, It's worth a look. And anytime I've suggested do this, uh, it's usually worked out to your benefit. So uh, stop what you're doing. Hit pause right now. Go watch that video and then come back. Uh, Bruce, you obviously, as soon as I start talking about this, you got excited. So I know you have a big reaction. Tell me what you know about this? Did Sahadi produce it? Whose idea was it? You know, what was the reaction internally? You just had a big reaction. Yeah, I, I don't know if Sahadi produced it or Adam Panucci did it. Ah, have one for the working man. Uh, it may have been Adam Panucci. I don't know, but it was definitely, obviously, television production. It is probably the single greatest wrestling video story. You said you're going to have a case of the feels. Well, if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, you watch this. It tells a story. You feel the emotion of the song, of the lyrics of the song. But if you're a fan, if you were a fan of wrestling at any time in the eras that was covered, man, you felt it. We used to play this video before television tapings. We played it at live arenas before the show got started. And the interesting thing was every night because it would show uh, everybody in it. It was all the top stars. It would go back to Hogan. It would go back through the time when the NWO invaded WCW and, and the attitude era. It went back to the new generation with Bret Hart and to listen to the audience reaction, they would always pop on Bret. They would always boo the minute Bischoff's face came up on the screen (laughs) They pop for Hogan. They pop, you know, and then there would be there would be little lulls in between. They would always pop huge for Owen Hart and the different guys in the different times in there. Just the emotion. I cried. I cried when I watched it today. Going back and just looking at it and reliving all that, seeing all those guys reliving those times and feeling that emotion all over again. But it was, without a doubt, the single best piece that WWE production has ever done. So if you haven't already, type it in your Google machine. Uh, WWE Desire, Lonely Road of Faith, Kid Rock. You'll see it. Uh, it's great stuff, and uh, we can't recommend it enough. All right, Bruce, it's time. What happened when? 
Vince McMahon started the XFL. I can't ever do a proper intro here. We need to call in the professionals to talk about this. Welcome to the X. God, that's so gross. Thank you for playing along. Um, a lot to get to here. This is going to be a fun show for us because, uh, most of you listening don't care about football. Not most, a lot of you listening don't care about American football. So we're not focusing on football so much as we are Vince McMahon stuff. Let's get right to it. What every wrestling fan comes away from watching this thinking is boy, Bob Costas is a dickhead. Uh, you know, Bob Costas is Bob Costas as big of a douche as he appears to be in this. No, Bob is actually a pretty nice guy. However, I felt that Bob came across as very arrogant, very all being all knowing holier than thou pompous ass, uh, in the documentary, the 3030 produced by Charlie Eversall. Yeah. And that's the other thing we should mention right there. I think, I feel like a, a lot of people you know, have criticized the documentary and said, oh, it wasn't hard enough on Vince and Dick. Well, the reality is it's put together by Dick's son. I mean, if there was a Vince McMahon documentary that was put together by Stephanie McMahon, what the fuck do you expect it to be? Of course it's going to be that. So if you go into it knowing that, I feel like that adds to your enjoyment level and maybe sets a more realistic expectation. It did for me. I, I watched it knowing, well, this is Dick's son, didn't you? Yes, and, and I think that it was, in the end, almost kind of like a love story where they, they get together at the end in the rain and they finally make out and tell each other they love each other at the end and everybody's happy and we move on. And maybe one day, one day we'll have children. I absolutely loved when somebody made the comparison to Winthrop and Mortimer from uh, <laughs> Trading Places, two old rich dudes at the end. <laughs> I bet we could have an ex, uh, our own version of the XF of the NFL. What a better dollar <laughs> at the very end. There's the payoff. Uh, yeah. let's talk about Bob Costas. Were you there for these HBO interviews? No, I was not there. Basil DeVito was there. Uh, who is Basil DeVito for people who haven't been paying attention to the pod so far? Well, Basil DeVito was, uh, a vice president in the company of promotions and, live events and, and what have you. And, and he, le he left the company during the steroid trial and things came, of that nature and came back here because he was an executive. Yes. And he couldn't be associated with these shenanigans. Yes. And now he's back and Vince decides to do this XFL interview, uh, with Bob Costas on HBO to try to combat some of the mounting negative press because Vince had felt like the mainstream press was just piling on and, uh, they needed to do something to counteract that. So somebody has the idea of let's going on Costas. Do you remember who that was? I believe it was, I believe it was Vince, uh, using the NBC tie and through Dick to use Bob kind of as a, a friendly place, a, a, an atmosphere 
where he might get a little bit more friendly interview and almost said fairer, but I don't think anybody expected Bob to be fair. We just expected Bob to be a little friendlier than he was. And Bob went into that with a, I'm going to get you agenda and attitude. And you feel like it was Costas's plan the entire time to play gotcha. I think it was. Yeah. Because he was, he was, he was loaded for bear and why does Vince keep doing this? It feels like he has some sort of, uh, love hate relationship with HBO because he went on real sports and they beat his ass up there too. And so I don't well, know. Hang, hang on. You say they beat his ass up there. They, they aired what they wanted to air. We shot that in the studios in Stanford, Connecticut at the WWF studios. And we had our camera shooting their camera, shooting the interviews. So we, we had the raw footage of that. And that was a hatchet job. That was, just what uh, they you're talking about real sports not I'm talking Bob about Costas. real sports yeah not Costas with Armand Catane who who is an asshole fuck you Armand Catane you're a prick um holier than thou hol- yeah he's an asshole I, I cannot stand him I turn the TV off when he's on but we had the raw footage and and it, it's out there somewhere but you can see what got Vince to that point where he finally grabbed his papers. And we thought Costas would be a little bit more friendly environment because Bob was a friend. It's worth mentioning that Costas, who wants to act like he's holier than now in this documentary is such a big wrestling fan that he once upon a time subscribed to the wrestling observer newsletter, uh, and was originally even supposed to be involved in WrestleMania seven before you guys, you know, did what you did was you should go listen to in the archives, WrestleMania seven, uh, is there for your enjoyment. Um, so overall you were not there for the Costas interview, the first one or the second one or either. I was not there. There was only one Costas interview. There were two for HBO. Okay. Well, the, the one where it got heated and where Vince got in his face. No, I wasn't, I wasn't there for any of those. No. One was when he was trying to turn opinions of the XFL. And the other one is when the XFL had closed. And it was, uh, he called it a rematch. And supposedly Vince, after this interview with Costas calls the next day or the next week and says, I want a rematch. Do you remember that being the case that somebody got in Vince's ear and said, boy, that came off shitty. You need to go try to fix that. Yeah. Everybody felt it came off shitty and Vince did try to fix it pretty quick. Who would have been most vocal? To Vince, because it feels like a lot of people are scared to tell the truth to Vince. So when Vince shits the bed like this, who comes to Vince and says, hey, hey, hey pal. I believe Ebersol was one of the first people to call Vince and say, man, that, you know, that wasn't good. It wasn't good for the XFL. It wasn't good for the network. It wasn't good for you. And Vince came back and got, you know, our, our opinions <laughs> on it. And we were fired up, you know, it's, you get fired up because you're attacked so much from the wrestling side of things that people are always trying to just, oh, well, you know, wrestling's fake and give you that holier than thou bullshit that anytime you can fire back on them, it's a victory. So initially it was like, yeah, it's victory. Fuck them, man. We win. But when you step back and look at it it's like, oh God damn, we came off like assholes. And that's what and Vince did. Vince, Vince did not come off well in, in that Costas interview. 
And he knew it. He knew it once he went back and looked at it. Would he have listened to someone other than Dick or would his inferiors at work? So, you know, people who work for him, if they would have had the same criticism that Dick did, would it have fallen on deaf ears because Vince feels like he's impervious to criticism or does he respond well to criticism? It depends. It, it really depends on the time and the place, and it depends on his resolve as well. If he really felt he was right, it's fuck you, I'm right. All right, well, so let's let, let's try that. Um, I'll be you. No, I don't do a good you. I'll be Briscoe, and you be Mr. McMahon. Um, uh, Mr. McMahon, I saw you on Costas now on the home box office television how did my arms look, pal? Were they big? Yes, sir. They were stunning. God damn right. Um, sir, do you think that was good for us? Your interview that you did with Mr. Fuck Co- that little midget. Yes, sir. You probably could. Um, hey, pal, let me tell you something. When somebody comes after us, by God, you've got to attack. Sir, um, people are being very critical of the interview. Have you read what people have been saying? Fuck people. (laughs) And fuck you. (laughs) But when Dick calls. Do you know why Texas doesn't slip into the Gulf of Mexico? Because Oklahoma sucks, sir. Sucks. Um, I'm just fascinated by the idea that somebody has to get in Vince's ear and say, you know, that didn't go well. Uh, I want to ask some funny stuff I heard on Wrestling Observer Radio this week about the XFL that just fascinated me. Do you know what Vince's relationship is like with David Letterman? It's kind of a love hate relationship. It goes back to the very first time, you know, Vince and, um, shit. Was it Costas? Vince and Costas might've been on the first David Letterman show, a new Year's show for the first baby born in New York. Vince was hosting at one hospital and, uh, Costas, I think, or somebody's probably going to correct me on this. Why Bob Costas? So whoever the fuck it was, it was, but Vince was one of them. And he did the thing back and forth with Letterman to interview the first baby born of 1970-whatever. It was in the 80s. Huh? That was the 80s. It was? I think it was like 79 or something like that. It may may have been 80, 81. I don't know, but whatever it was. So then Vince came on to do something, and one of the first uh, lines when Vince sat down was Letterman says, Hey, Vince, looks like you got a uh, set of weights for Christmas. And Vince looked back at Letterman and says, yeah, it looks like you didn't, pal. And Letterman doesn't like when people fuck with him. Right. And doesn't like when people fuck with him. So it's two guys didn't like to be fucked with that were fucking with each other. And you would always hear these stories about Letterman sitting in a corner, didn't talk to people. No, they didn't like each other. So supposedly on one appearance in like November-ish, December-ish, Letterman asks Vince... Who won the World Series this year? Who the fuck cares? I couldn't tell you that. The point is, I love I love you. 
This <laughs> you ask me that question. I can't answer that question. Who the fuck cares about baseball? You it's wa- not even a sport. It's a game. You watched it at my house on the back porch. I did? Yeah, the fucking Cubs won. Uh, okay. I went to extra innings. It was game seven. It's kind of a bit. How do you not remember? You're so fucking old. Anyway, who won the World Series this year? Letterman asks. And Vince has a blank stare. This Mother's Day and Father's Day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple, too. All we needed was a a picture from our phone. Boom, we're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion, that's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. He didn't care. He's fucking developing a football league and he doesn't know who won the world series the month before. 
Well, if you ask him who won the Super Bowl, he would have known. I hate you for he this. He didn't like baseball. He loved football. You should have, even if you're a casual fucking football fan, you know who won the World Series. What's amazing to me. Why? If you're a football fan, you know who won the Super Bowl. You don't know who won the World Series. Dude, if you're going to. Are you seriously arguing that a guy who's starting a fucking football league shouldn't know who won the World Series? It's a Why sp- should they know who won the World Series? It's sports on television, stupid. What's wrong with you? Oh, my God. Nobody watches baseball. Well, Vince doesn't because he fucking had no idea. And I just find that fascinating. Let me, let me give you another example of how little... This, I mean, this is amazing to me. At one of the early press conferences for the XFL, a reporter asked Vince something like, Vince, who are your favorite football players growing up? Do you want to know what his answer was? Ernie Probably Ladd. Ernie Wyatt. Ladd won the game. <laughs> the greatest football players that ever played the game. I love that who you the knew hell, that. Who the hell are your favorites? Those are my two favorites. I love that you and knew Ron the answer. And Ron Pritchard, who played for the Cincinnati Bengals. That's amazing to me that you knew his answers would be Ernie Ladd and Wahoo McDaniel. Because they are probably two of the greatest men to ever put a pair of shoulder pads on. He should have said Johnny Unitas. Who? He, sh- he should have said Jim Brown. He could have said any of these guys, and it would have been pseudo. By this point in 2001, he could have said Joe Montana, and it would have been a fine answer. But he says Ernie Ladd and Wahoo. This dude is so in the wrestling bubble. He had no business in sports. But let's talk about what. Okay, just to set the record straight, Vince is a huge football fan. Does love. He loves Washington Redskins, and he is a big football fan. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's rumor and innuendo out there that once upon a time, and I can't believe this is even a real conversation, but once upon a time. I can't either. Uh, it was in the book, the long bomb, and it was reported that Vince tried to buy the Minnesota Vikings and then he tried to buy the Washington Redskins. Do you remember there ever being a conversation? Because at some point Vince, Vince had a real hard on for this and he starts to inquire about buying a team The the CFL tries to sell him a team. He wants to buy the whole fucking league. They say no. So then he starts the XFL, but somewhere in there, there's at least preliminary conversations about Vince buying the Vikings, which I find fascinating and the Washington Redskins. There was interest there. Yeah. Whenever a team would, would start to send feelers out, they would, you know, they have that rich guy feeler system that they send out feelers to rich people that, that own rich guy stuff, rich guy stuff. Well, you know, you know, you probably get a lot of that. And uh, there, no. there was some interest. There was some some talk back and forth and stuff. Rich guy stuff in Huntsville, Alabama is like investing in a barbecue restaurant. It's not buying the Washington Redskins. It's a different level kind, sir. Well, you know. Uh, uh-huh. So let's kind of talk about how this harebrained idea comes about. Uh, you, you saw in the documentary the in, that NBC is losing the NFL. They've made a business decision that for the ask that the NFL has, they're going to lose money if they proceed. So they just bow out. So they need content and they love professional football because of what the NFL has brought them, but they're trying to run a business and keep it in the black. And the 2000 Olympics from Sydney, Australia do them no favors because there's a 15 hour time difference. So it has the lowest rating since 1968. They lose a ton of money. 
and they offer to do make good ads. And they, on top of all that, they lose the NFL. So NBC is getting hammered. You've got big shows like, um, survivor trying to compete with a flagship show friends, and they're going head to head with NBC. So they're looking for stuff. And Dick, who is, as you saw in the show, one of the founders of Saturday night live and the guy who worked with Vince to put together Saturday night's main event, hears that Vince is doing press conferences about the XFL. Now, before we talk about whose idea that first was, they didn't talk about it too much here, but the original plan was for it to be on UPN, which was the home of SmackDown at the time. Is that the way you remember it? Yeah, it was, it was originally, we kind of felt that we didn't have a deal, but there were initial talks with UPN and uh, Spike TV. It's all owned by Viacom and CBS. And there was a thirst at the time. There's a lot now, but this is when it was really becoming super hot for reality television. And it was probably first, one of the really first popular shows was on MTV. It was uh, real world road, road rules, shit like that. But now it's on mainstream. And so survivor is smashing and other shows like that are doing big numbers. So Vince has an idea to make professional football more of a reality show and so much of that worked but some of it didn't work and that's what we'll get into one of the misconceptions though bruce that i don't think a lot of people really knew is that the xfl is not like an abbreviation it's not the extreme football league they never said that it was just xfl the extra fun league how fucking dumb is that i mean do you do you feel dumber when you say it because you have a huge shit eating grin when you say that <laughs> no, it was just, you know they it had absolutely zero meaning. It was just the XFL. Is it I like love it. Now, let me ask you this. Extra would, fucked up league. <laughs> extra fornicating league. We uh dream fornicating lady. God <laughs> damn pal. We talked about the X title on the TNA show and you got half hot about it because you said, what does it mean? Nobody can tell me what it means. It doesn't fucking mean anything. And now here you're fine with the it. Being division. Yeah. That, that's fucking ridiculous. Silliest goddamn thing I ever heard in my life. The X division. Yeah. Silliest goddamn thing I've ever heard in my life. Sillier than the XFL. Oh God. Yes. This is amazing. <laughs> At least the XFL had a black and red football. <laughs> this logic. This logic. Oh, my gosh. Um, so how does this originally, you know, we've heard the whole Carl, Carl DeMarco story, and, and I want you to kind of set the record straight. How involved was Carl DeMarco in the creation of the XFL? Carl DeMarco, Carl DeMarco, for those of you who don't know, uh, was the president of WWF Canada. Do I have that title right? <laughs> yeah, Carl was the president of Canada. I said WWF Bison, Canada. Bison Head. Yeah, Bison Head. Why do you call him Bison Head? Uh, actually, Jim Cornette nicknamed him Bison Head. Goddamn fucking Bison Head, motherfucker. <laughs> What is about? I'm never coming to your goddamn country again, anyway. Fuck you. 
put horns on that son of a bitch. Put him in Idaho. They'll kill him. <laughs> Make beef jerky out of that fucking motherfucker. Gigantor head. What was Carl DeMarco's involvement in the XFL? Nothing. I think Carl simply brought the CFL opportunity uh, to Vince. And when that didn't work out, Vince had a bug then that he wanted yeah. to do football. God damn it, I'll own my own league. And so he holds a press conference, and he has, I mean, you guys did a great job designing the logo. I assume that was a WWE person who made the logo? I guess, man. Uh, here, Here's the thing. When, when Vince started talking football and started talking about all this shit, I ran. I, I tried to get as far away from those meetings as I could get because, I man, I lived through the WBF. I lived through ICA Pro and, <laughs> and some of that, that shit. I'm, I'm hearing about goddamn football and XFL and offseason and during wrestling and, and trying to do this during WrestleMania season. And I ran. I, I you know, I play football in high school. I watch it occasionally on TV. I didn't ask where the hell's my football at the end of the Super Bowl. I watched the Super Bowl for the commercials and went, hey, that was a cool Dorito commercial. So I, I didn't have that same passion. I didn't care. Well, because you don't like football. I like football. I just I, I don't live and die by football. I took you to an Alabama game. And you celebrated and yelled home run when they scored a touchdown. And I did that, that rolling, rolling thunder thing. Roll tides. When, remember I had the pom pom and I did it when they, when they scored the, uh, the touchdown or the, the, the base hit thing. Remember that guy, remember that guy hit the home run or caught the home run or whatever he did. Well, you know, you know, uh, Meltzer said through that field goal, you mentioned, you just rattled off. WBF and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Meltzer had a quote this last week that I really enjoyed, and I want to get your take on it. Quote, Vince is the best wrestling promoter there's ever been, but Vince's track record outside of wrestling is actually the shits. Okay. Agree? Disagree? I think that Vince does a lot better in the wrestling world than that bubble. Yeah. So Vince a, does great in, in the entertainment world. I, I, I will say that. I'm not just going to put him to wrestling because he does do well in entertainment and has broadened the scope of wrestling. So, when, so he, when he when he deviates from the, was the sports du- sports wrestling entertainment, yeah, okay. Was the WBF entertainment? To him it was. Is the movie studio entertainment? Yeah, but that's doing well. Now? Uh, how, is the restaurant entertainment? Yeah, because do 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 what we do over here. We make money. Do do do. I don't know what the fuck you do. That was Michael Hayes to the uh, president of the uh, WWF Studios one time in a meeting. What? <laughs> we're we're in a meeting in the conference room, and we're and Vince has the creative people. I think it was like me, Michael, Brian Gewertz, and and the head of WWF uh, movies, and Michael just is so frustrated that we're sitting there having to come up with ideas for movies and shit and says, well, Hey, I'll tell you, they were going around asking and he asked somebody what they did. He goes, Hey, I'll tell you what I do. I make money for this company. What the fuck do you do? <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do. 
And I just, I mean. Was Vince in the meeting when he screams that? Do yeah, Vince was in the meeting. Linda was in the meeting, and Vince popped huge. It was it was priceless because he was right. Michael's sitting there, and we're frustrated because we're because we've got we still have to go produce the real life the shit. shit that the real life shit that's making the money for the company, and we're sitting in there trying to help this son of a bitch do his job out in Hollywood. And yeah, it was hilarious. I don't know what the fuck you do. I make money for this company. They, they, they. So. Vince goes to UPN. Vince goes to UPN and says, I want to start a football league. And they support him. I say, we're in. They did, yeah. How does he pitch it? Are you involved or privy to that meeting at all? No, no, man. I, I, like I said, I ran from all that shit. I'm hearing, I'm hearing the, the rumblings that everybody else is hearing. I'm hearing the stuff in the hallways, okay? I am not – I get the meetings every once in a while. I get updates from Vince here and there. But I'm not in those, all right, here's what we're going to do. We've got this TV deal here. We've got the – nope, not there. And the word in the offices is, you know, we're going to have our own uh, football division. Nobody in wrestling. We're going to have a completely separate office staff, completely separate everything a football division under the WWF umbrella. And I couldn't get far enough away from it. I would, I would hear it and go, okay, Hey, yeah, that's cool. Basil DeVito would walk into my office and, and show me the football and, and tell me a story about something that happened with the XFL. And Hey, this is really cool. We're going to do that and go, Hey, that's cool, man. I'll, I'll watch one on TV there. By God. When did you get sucked in? About five days before the very first game. <laughs> The, uh, the, the Thursday or Friday before the, a week before the first game, I, I was told that, uh, it's all, all, all hands on deck, pal, but it wasn't all hands on deck. And that was, what was bullshit. It was, it was me. And, <laughs> it was me and Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. What the fuck? Yeah, and, and Michael Hayes and Brian Gewertz, and I'm sitting there thinking, why in the fuck do we, if it's all hands on deck, bring everybody, make everybody come be miserable with us. Why do we, is it only me that has to be miserable? So let's talk about um, these press conferences. Did you see any of these initial press conferences when Vince is promising that what happened to my football needs to be more violent, no pansy shit? It's the no fun league. Did you see any of that rehearsed, practiced, or are you just watching it on ESPN like everybody else? I'm just sitting there watching it after the fact. It's important to mention here that by 99, WCW is in full-on self-destruction mode, and the WWF's on fire. The average age for the WWE at the time was 23 years old. And 40% of the audience is under the age 17. So the WWF is dominating the coveted advertiser demo of 18 to 34, which by the way, so does this podcast. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, they're beating the NFL on Monday nights in certain demos, including this male 18 to 34. So that's a big deal when you can beat Monday night football for males, 1834. 
And Vince starts to develop a bit of a reputation as having the Midas touch when it comes to this demographic. And this is also a time where the networks are scrambling a little bit because baseball's business is way down. Ratings are terrible. Ticket sales are terrible. There was a little bit of a shot in the arm, pardon the pun, for Sosa and McGuire in 98. Uh, but wrestling is super hot. And Vince is credited with that because he has the, quote, secret for the young viewers. And this whole Canadian Football League thing gets scrapped. So a year out, he announces the XFL. And the basic idea is, well, if we just get a percentage of their audience, we'll be fine. And, of course, um, that actually happened a year later. But it's not, if you believe the movie, it's not until after the press conference is done that NBC jumps in. Do you remember thinking when NBC got involved and it wasn't UPN? Oh shit, this is real. Well, UPN was still involved. UPN yeah. and Spike were all still involved. At Spike at the time is TNN, but still same company, and and, and they're going to carry kind of the B games. But NBC takes it to another level from UPN. Well, NBC became fifty percent partners, right? with us and and picking up 50% of the costs and they were a partner in this deal. So it was, it was much more so than just a broadcast partner and a a broadcast deal. It was, they were partners in the league. They were part owners of the league. And there's a lot of confidence in this because of the reputation that NBC has. Um, Who in the company, is there a wrestling person who would have had a heavy influence as far as helping with coaches or personnel or like football operations at all, or did Vince outsource all of that to NBC? How how does that come about as far as you remember? No, Vince went out and hired somebody, uh, somebody that had worked for the NFL. I couldn't tell you their name if my life depended on it. See, and Vince, that's part of the documentary that frustrates me is they don't ask that. Like, who the fuck is picking football players? That's because they're not Conrad Thompson. Well, roll tight okay. on that. Okay, they don't do the kind of research that you do that has made something to wrestle with the number one podcast in the world today. Well, that's a shoot, especially Just in the saying. wrestling category. More than 2 million downloads in the last 30 days. Um, not a lot of people abroad are probably familiar with UPN. Can you kind of rank them as a network amongst the major networks at the time? Well, let's see. You got one, two, three. CBS four, five, is number six. one. Uh, NBC is number two. ABC is number three. Fox is number four. CW. That's five. Yeah. Um, there's that uh, local affiliate uh, PBS station in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, that's probably about <laughs> number six. And then there's UPN. There you go. What does UPN stand for? The United, uh, United, I don't remember what the hell, uh, United Paramount Network, something like that. It was United something network. Nobody fucking know. remembers. Uh, so Vince is going to do this originally with UPN and USA as his network and cable or TNN as his network and cable affiliates. And then of course, time passes, um, 
And then Ebersol gets involved. And Ebersol, you have told me before when we discuss Saturday Night's main event, not on the show, but uh, just in real life, he's a fucking genius when it comes to like scripting shows and television and brought another level to the WWF. Kind of share some of the things that you guys did differently when you did TV with Dick than you did on your own. Well, Ebersol was a protege of Rune Arledge, and Rune Arledge is the guy who for ABC started Monday night football and Dick worked for Rune and Dick learned under the learning tree of Rune Arledge and Dick is a sports guy. And he also did Saturday night live with uh, Lauren Michaels, but he is generally considered a television genius. And I would happen to agree with that, but Ebersol brought structure to WWE. He brought scripted promos a higher production values for Saturday night's main event and just a bigger focus on the end product of the wrestling product for network television. Dick revolutionized a lot of things in the, in the television industry. He, he got the Olympics, as you say, uh, they lost their ass on the Olympics during that time. And that was probably due to, we talked about the 15 hour delay where Dick said, well, you know what? We're not going to do this live. We'll do it plausibly live. So they didn't, internet wasn't as big as it is now. It was still big. They were getting results. Sure. But they presented it as if it was live. Never said it was live, but also didn't say it was taped either. And people got a little pissed, and and I think that hurt. But uh, Dick just brought a big feel to everything he did. Is there a more Vince McMahon thing to do than to hold a press conference saying, We're, I'm, ha- I'm going to develop my own league. It's going to happen a year from now. I'm not telling you what station it's on. I'm not telling you what teams there are. I'm not telling you where a stadium is or what cities have agreed. But God damn it, look at my logo. <laughs> We've got a ball. And it's a black ball. <laughs> and, and and sir, what does the XFL stand for? The extra funly. The extra. Fuck you. How's that, pal? Yeah. Uh, really, seriously. When you hear this press conference announces nothing. Is this a sign of things to come? He was announcing that he was going to start a goddamn football league. That's something. That's a big announcement, man. Do you think? think, Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. The idea being, and this is is how Vince did WrestleMania 3. He was like, go book book the Pontiac Silverdome, and by God, we're going to fill it. Just, Just book it, and we're going to sell that son of a bitch out. Everybody thought he was crazy. So Vince felt that if he announced it, well, then... It's out there. I've got to do it, and we will do it because we've announced it. <laughs> okay? The guy's crazy. Well, we agree on this. Um, but he's crazy. It's just fascinating to me. Let, let's get into you find out you're going to participate five days ahead of time. Oh, God. Um, when you find out. Do you know at that time that these guys really haven't had a chance to practice very much? Do you think that most of this is put together? Or at what stage is the actual production five days out? 
Are you shocked at how much is left to be done, or are they further along than you imagined? Oh, you, we're going to talk shocking here in a little bit. I didn't know. I really didn't know. And, and I know it sounds crazy to be office on the fourth floor of Titan Tower and not have any clue what the hell's going on around you with the XFL because everybody's a buzz about it. But I was focused. I was I was focused on TV and I had tunnel vision. I didn't care. I didn't want to know because I was afraid if I showed any interest in it, that they would say, hey, come on, pal. Uh, let's go do some XFL. I could use you. I didn't want to open that door. So we... We had been assured, we had been told, and we had been assured that the wrestling people would do wrestling, the football people would do football, and the two shall not cross or intermingle. Now, JR was going to do play-by-play on the UPN shows. Of course, we had Jerry Lawler doing color on some of the shows. But that that was the only co-mingling. Well, then cameramen started <laughs> being being brought over and, and different things. But we were nervous. And when I say we were nervous, I was nervous. Brian Gewertz was nervous. Um, everybody on the, on the writing team was like, good God, man. We're, we're, we don't have Vince's focus and attention now. What's it going to be like when the XFL comes along? Is it going to be even harder to get his attention? So we were assured we would have our time with Vince and that uh, nothing would – you wouldn't lose that, okay? We'll still have access to Vince. You're still going to have your meetings with him. You still got – everything will be the same. You won't have to go. And then we're told, uh, Bruce, Brian, uh, you guys and Michael, you guys are, are going to uh, go with me and, and accompany Vince uh, for the first weekend of the XFL. I'm like, huh? And who's saying this to you? Uh, Stephanie. Oh. And I reiterated that we were assured (laughs) that we would not have to do the XFL. But we really weren't given a choice and we're just told that we would be um, joining them in the first weekend of the XFL. So what do you assign to do? Just tag along events and Dude, produce television? Know. Dude, we didn't know. Okay. So I'm trying to explain to, to Brian and Michael about over the years back when it was just me, Vince, and Pat, how Pat and I had to do everything Vince did. If he went to go in and get a haircut in New York, we rode in the limo with him to go get a haircut. I used to go and get a haircut because, hey, it was a free haircut. And we would book in the – in the barbershop and stuff and you have your booking book out and you'd write TV and still be booking. You, you just worked all the time. I said, well, that's kind of what this will be like. And Brian's like, but they're going to be doing football. What the fuck are we going to do? We didn't know. We had no clue. Was Brian a football it, fan? <laughs> I'll get to that. So <clears throat> we were told that we're going to come <clears throat> So that when Vince has free time, that we'll have access to Vince and we can talk about TV. So, guys, you know, you'll be there. And and so this way, when Vince has got a few minutes, you know, you guys can talk to him about TV and you guys can work on TV and you're there with Vince. And you can help out with the football if, if we need some help. Well, man, we board the plane. 
in White Plains, New York, Black Beauty. And it's Dick Ebersol, Matt Vaskirchen, Vaskirchen. He's a dick, too. Fuck you, Matt Vaskirchen. Um, well, why do you not like him? He's just an arrogant prick. I, when in you remember in the uh, in the documentary when he said one of Vince's people came and got me and brought him to the limo. Oh, I know who that was. That was me. I know who that was. Uh, so um, I don't know. He was just an arrogant know-it-all prick. He just I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Matt Vaskirchen. But he was nominated uh, for a sports Emmy for outstanding sports personality as a studio host. Okay, great. So. So he's on the plane. Dick Eversall's on the plane. Vince is on the plane. Stephanie McMahon is on the plane. Um, I'm trying to the configuration up front. Um, I don't think Butkus was on the plane. But in the back is the lady that hired the cheerleaders, me, Michael Hayes, Brian, and Stephanie. Well, we're trying... Me, Michael, and Brian are trying to write television for the next week. So we're trying to come up with ideas for TV. And so we're sitting in the back away from everybody so they can discuss their football and their cheerleaders and everything up front about what they're going to do and and how they want to present this product and so on and so forth. And we're up in the air probably maybe 10, 15 minutes in. Everybody's small talk. We've got our notebooks out. We're, We're writing and stuff and talking amongst ourselves. And Vince turns around and says, God damn it, guys. Get up here. You can do that wrestling shit anytime. We need to talk about football. I want everybody's input. Vince swings his chair around so that now he's facing back towards us and everybody moves their chairs so that everybody's facing each other. And we're looking at one another going, what the fuck? We were told we didn't have to do football, you know? And come to find out, we start talking about How are we going to start the game? Now think about that for a minute. You're going to do your first football game, and you're on a plane with three wrestling guys in the back, and you ask them, how should we start this game? God damn, the NFL does a kickoff. I mean, what what the hell? That's boring. Coin toss. Ah, ah, that's boring. This is developed on the way to the first game. Bro, this is in the plane on the way to the first game, on a Wednesday before the first game. And we start talking about what we used to do as kids and how we used to put a football in the middle of the street and you would line up on opposite sides of the street and whoever got the football first started. Okay. It's street football. That's how we played street football. And I love it. So now what do we call that? <laughs> and that's how the scramble came about. And we, we and I think Michael Hayes uh, is the one that came up with scramble for the XFL, how to start the goddamn game. <laughs> but it was decided on a plane ride to the first game, how we're going to start the game. Wow. Not discuss with any football people, not discuss with any of the coaches or players or any input from the football experts. 
It's Brian Gortz, Michael Hayes, Bruce Pritchard, Stephanie McMahon, Vince McMahon, Bat- Matt Vaskirchen, and Dick Ebersol. And this chick, cheerleader chick. And we come up with scramble for the ball. Then we start going through and, and, and Vince tells Brian to start writing promos for guys. For players. For players. Let's come up with some good creative shit. You know, I, let's get their personalities out there. Well, who, who'd you have in mind, Vince? I don't know. God, just write some shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Brian is sitting there and Brian. Writing about guys he's never met. We've never met. We don't know their names. We don't know their little nicknames. We know nothing. All right. And Brian is sitting there saying shit like, so um, the defensive tackle, he's the guy that, like, throws the ball. And we're looking at him because Brian is a football fan. And he's, and he's throwing this shit out there, looking for a reaction from somebody. And then he's like, uh, what, what exactly does the fullback do? Is he the blocking guy? And the, God damn it, Brian, just come on, right? Just write some shit. So basically just shit out some dialogue here, pal. <laughs> we'll, we'll find somebody to say it. And we just are looking at each other like, how the fuck are we getting into this? So then we start to talk about the cheerleaders with the little cheerleader chick. Okay, who's the cheerleader expert of the NFL at one time, I guess. And she starts telling us these stories about the you're going to need a lot more than that, Pally, about how special these girls are, because they're not just cheerleaders, man. They're not just, you know, what you would expect cheerleaders to be. These these women are professionals. We've got a doctor. We've got a lawyer. We have one that's a mathematician that you're going to meet. Mathematician. They're really, they've got some great background, really great stories. And we can tell those stories about these wonderful lives that they have Monday through Friday. But on Saturday and Sunday, they come out to the X, F, to cheer their little hearts out for their favorite XFL team and be sexy. And I'm listening to all this. Okay, you know, hey, man, that's, that sounds cool. We can come up with some stories for that. And we go on and hear about how all these wonderful stories about these great backgrounds that these um, cheerleaders have. So we we we, we just discuss uh, a litany of things about getting the cameras in the huddle and having the guy. Oh, here's a good having the guys introduce themselves on the field in between plays and cutting promos. Just give them a few lines. They'll cut a promo. They'll say their name like I'm uh, fiddle fuck and I like to fuck fiddles um, in the middle of the game. So we had these cameras, is what we talked about, and one of them was the Bubba Cam. And the Bubba Cam was a steady cam that would be on the field, and the operator was dressed in shoulder pads and, and padded all up, and he would be in the action to give you a view of playing unlike anything you'd ever seen in football. So I'm going off on a tangent here, but the Bubba cam 
was created for legendary handheld cameraman Herbert Dean Bubba, well, Herbert, Herbert Bubba Dean Blau. And we called him Bubba Dean. And Bubba Dean is the all-time uh, greatest handheld cameraman, sorry, Lewis, uh, that ever was in the WWE. And he, he got his uh, nickname. He's the one that did all the Austin stuff. He does a lot of movement. And if I needed something shot, I always had Bubba as my cameraman. So the camera was named after Bubba. Now, you heard the guy on the documentary talk about how, oh, yeah, and the wrestling guy, Vince said, well, he would have his guy come, but Bubba never, Bubba never even used the Bubba cam. Well, there's a reason Bubba didn't use the Bubba cam. He made it sound like Bubba didn't want to get on the field and didn't want to do that. That's not why Bubba didn't do the Bubba cam. Bubba had had his uh, front teeth knocked out and had his face kicked in by Stone Cold Steve Austin doing a backstage fight in San Antonio. And Steve came off of a car and kicked Bubba straight in the face, knocked all of his teeth out. Bubba with his teeth, with Steve's foot in his mouth and his spitting out teeth, literally never lost his shot and continued shooting live and never missed the shot. So Bubba had basically a bashed in face, no teeth, but still made the XFL and Vince wouldn't let him on the field because he couldn't get cleared because of his condition, but he still shot handheld stuff for the XFL and they used other guys for the Bubba cam. So fuck that cameraman too for dissing Bubba Dean because Bubba Dean's the best. Yeah, I knew people would want to hear more about Bubba, especially when they referenced the Bubba cam like that. Um, so lots of innovation, you know, comes from this. When you watch, you know, the NFL now, you see them try to show more personality with the guys individually and micing up players and getting cameras in the huddle and uh, the sky cam and all of that stuff. So it does have... You know, the sky cam was originally called the X cam. Yeah, there you go. Um, Which the NFL laughed at us about. Yeah. They thought that was the silliest thing they'd ever heard. What um, What do you remember being the most difficult thing about that X cam? Were you a part of the development of that? No, I wasn't. It was That was something that uh, John Gonzalez takes credit for it. Um, I got John Gonzalez stories. We'll talk about on the plane ride coming back, uh, after the first weekend, but it, it was kind of a, a group effort that they came up with. No, I, I, man, like I said, I wasn't a part of that early development. I tried to stay away from it, but here's a, here's a great one. We, we arrive in Vegas and we get a couple limos and they drive us over to the, to the stadium at, uh, the Las Vegas University. And as we're walking in, they've got the lights, they're setting everything up. And Brian, and it's dark. Okay, this is the sun's sunset, and it's, it's kind of dark, and it's at night. And Brian Gewertz came up with the line that summed the XFL up perfectly. It's me, Michael Hayes, and Brian. And we walk through the through the back. We walk through the entrance where the players would eventually run out onto the field. And we see all these guys out there. And we see everybody, the cameramen and football players and coaches and different personnel and all these people kind of walking around, looking around and all. 
And Brian says, you guys remember the opening to Jurassic Park? Doesn't it kind of feel the same? (laughs) (laughs) And I swear to God, for the rest of the weekend and the rest of the season, every time something would happen, we would just go, it was that kind of summed it all up, man, because that's what it was. Don't worry. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> We've got this. They're contained. They can't possibly get out. You uh, you talked about the the lady who trained the cheerleaders or handled the cheerleaders. No, she, she, she handled them and found them, discovered them. Did you produce any of their stuff? Okay. I've told you this story, right? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, okay. So we, we kind of, we, we get, we get there and Vince has trailers in the back and Vince has his office and tells us guys, make yourself at home. He tells the limo driver, all right, whatever these guys need, just go get, do whatever. He says, guys, Use him, get whatever you want, whatever you need. Make this next few days as comfortable and easy on you as you possibly can because it's going to be a motherfucker. So uh, told the guy, go get 20 chicken sandwiches with tomato only. Um, guys, do you need sunglasses? Do you need, <laughs> do you need uh, headphones? Do you, you know, what do you need? Just get it. And... We're kind of okay. Now, here's what I need from you. So Brian's put in charge of writing scripts for guys that we've never met. And he's trying to do stuff. And we're trying to shoot pre-tapes with these guys that, that have their own vision of what they think they should be. And you have these, these guys coming in there and they're going, my name is so-and-so. And the Lord has talked to me and he has told me that his vision for me is to and, and just going on these tirades about whatever the fuck they were going on about that made no sense, that went on two minutes too long. And we're trying to get him to do just 30 second. Give me some personality. Tell me who you are. Tell me why I need to keep my eye on you when you're on the field. And they pretty much sucked. Because they were, you know, they were athletes. They were football players. They weren't entertainers. So then the other thing we were charged with was, Bruce, go and meet the cheerleaders. And I want you and Michael and Brian, I want you guys to to, to bite them up. And let's shoot some vignettes highlighting their personalities. You know, we've got a doctor, we've got a lawyer, we've got this mathematician, these three that I keep getting thrown in my face. So we bring all the cheerleaders that are sitting in the stands, and uh, I've got the the head cheerleader woman there, and she introduces me, and I say, hey, girls, how you doing? I'm Bruce Pritchard, this is Brian Gorsh, this is Michael Hayes, and we're going to be working with you guys over the next couple days. We're going to shoot what we call vignettes. They're basically personality pieces. And we want to tell your story. We want to talk about how during the week, 
that you guys have these regular kind of mundane jobs, but on the weekend you're out here chilling, cheering your ass off and cheering on your favorite team because you love the XFL and you love football. Um, I understand that we, we have a doctor amongst us. Crickets. Um, I'm looking over to the cheerleader lady. I said, uh, you mentioned that we had a, a, a doctor. And she looks through the group, kind of looks. Up. Oh, well, Cindy over here, um, you're she worked in a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. That was our doctor. Then uh, I said, OK, I said, OK, well, that's cool. We can do something with that. You know, so that's cool. Understand uh, we have an attorney in the in the ranks. Crickets. I look over at her and. She says, well, uh, Nancy uh, didn't – don't – she says, well, I, I went to school. Um, I was thinking about being a lawyer. It's okay. Um, where's my mathematician? The goddamn crickets were running rampant in Las Vegas. And she says, oh, well, uh, Nancy or whatever the hell your name is uh, – she says, well, I, I like to read math books. God damn. I said, you know what? Let me try this a different way. Because the preamble to all this shit was we didn't have – these aren't just a bunch of strippers that are going to be out there. These are people with real jobs and, and, and real, real life, and, and on the weekend they become someone else. So I said, let me try this a different way. How about we just go – and you guys introduce yourselves – and tell me a little bit about yourself. There you go. So we go to the first one. And she says, hi, my name is Dixie, and I'm a dancer. Please tell me her name was really oh, Dixie. Okay. Uh, I have no fucking idea. I forgot their names as soon as it came out their mouth. I go to the next one. Uh, my name is Lucy, and I'm a dancer. I really like to dance. So I go to the third one. My name is Amber and I'm a dancer. I love dancing and I really want to dance. So I said, okay. Um, anybody here not a dancer? Fucking crickets. <laughs> so... <laughs> I end the meeting kind of abruptly and I grabbed this lady and I said, what the fuck? You know, you, I can make shit work, but now I got to go back and explain to Vince that I got a chick that likes to read math books. I got a chick that works in a lawyer office, a chick that used to work in a doctor's office or a chick that, that wanted to be a lawyer. And, um, two dozen dancers. And, uh, they're all dancers. And, I said, uh, what the fuck? He said, well, I, I, you know, I thought maybe, yeah, tomorrow will be a better group. I got to shoot shit today. Yeah. So essentially I just made shit up. <laughs> I took, I took the bitch that, uh, that worked in a lawyer's office. I put her in a lawyer's office, man. I had her, I had her coming in a lawyer coming in I hot had, with that language. 
I had I had the uh, the one that oh this was this was another good one this was one that uh, she says well I know I know we've got a uh, a sports one that that does sports uh, trainer or something like that so I go to talk to her she dated a trainer in high school I said well great you're going to be my athletic trainer I took the the chick that liked to read math books. I get this. She liked to read math books, but she hated math and she couldn't do any math problems. So I had to have her go get, bring me one of those math books. And we just did a complicated, uh, math problem on the wall. And here's, here's my favorite part of all. When we divvied up crews and everything, I said, you know what? I'll take these girls, Michael, you and Brian, you go take these girls and you take your crew. I'll do my crew. Well, I made it so that my crew and all my girls, I could shoot everything <laughs> right there at the stadium. I just did backstage stuff, and, and I made a training room. I made a classroom. I made, I just made shit up there. And uh, Stephanie McMahon stayed with me and helped me produce, and, and Michael and them were up until the wee hours of the morning having to shoot stuff on location in Las Vegas. It sucked because they were just they were just local dancers um go-go girls uh, uh showgirls not that there's anything wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with it at all but say that don't give me this shit about how how bright and brilliant these girls are these great stories they have when none of them had stories so you were producing television for the xfl during the games well, that this was before the game. I'm asking yeah. about the game. Do we have to keep talking about pregame, or can I move along? We can go ahead and move along. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you the person who's directing these cheerleader shots to shoot no, crotch and not. chest and no face? Nope. Who's called? John Gonzalez. Who's John Gonzalez? He was the director. And what what else has John done? Golf. And John goes from hole in one to just showing holes. I guess. Yeah, I wasn't really impressed. I, you know, and, and again, that that's this is bad on me. This is this is my arrogant assholey this coming out. These guys were so assholey and arrogant that you just hated them. They hated us. We hated them because you're from wrestling. We're from yeah. We were the WWF people. Yeah. Oh, that WWF guy. Well, my my responsibility was I was. Uh, Michael Hayes and I were to produce the sideline girls and the, the girls that were going to be in the crowd and around telling stories, going to the tailgate. It was Dara Torres and some other little blonde playboy playmate. And we went around before the game uh, to tailgating for them to interview fans and, and kind of give the atmosphere and the feel of the XFL first game. Well, these chicks were so petty that they would – they had their watches and they would time the other one doing a piece, not understanding that we're just pre-taping stuff that they're going to splice together and air later on. And one would say, well, that take was 32 seconds and my last take was only 18. She's getting more airtime than me. I, my, my next, my next take, I, I should be able to have an extra 12 seconds. It was that petty. So then during the game, the idea was that we would come to these girls in the audience and we would pick out unique fans and we would tell some unique stories. And 
and sell the overall experience of the XFL. The problem was was that the John Gonzalez and the NBC crew and the guys that were directing and producing the actual game itself didn't like that idea, so they would never come to us. They had no desire to come to us. They thought it was stupid, so they just didn't come to us. Now, I've got a headset, so I can talk directly to Vince. I could talk directly to the truck, and they just ignored me. And Vince would yell at me, God damn it, Bruce, you got to give me something. So I'm giving you something. They won't take it. The game sucked. Uh, at one point, you know, they decide that, okay, Bruce, we're, we're going to come to you. And this is in the fourth quarter of a football game going on in Las Vegas. University of Las Vegas field. Did I mention that? And they say, okay, we're going to come to you. You got something for us? And I turn around. Now, all, all night long, the girls are up my ass going, they're not coming to us enough. We, we, we don't have anything. We're not getting on the air. We're not getting any TV time. And I turn around to tell the girls, okay, we're going to do a spot here. I have no girls there. So I look around. Guess where the two uh, arena reporters that are supposed to be up in the stands doing interviews with fans are? I have no idea. It's the fourth quarter of a football game, Conrad. Where the hell do you think they'd be? I don't know. On the field, at the 10-yard line, doing an interview with E.T. On the field, while the game was going on. Now, the, the action was on the other end of the field at that time, but they were on the field doing an interview with E.T. So I kind of blew a gasket. I know that's really hard to believe for anybody that's ever worked with me. Uh, Seth Mates, hey, this is a shout out to you. I know it's hard for you to believe I'd ever blow a gasket. But uh, I went out. I stopped the interview abruptly and cut a promo on the girls, cut a promo on the E.T. people. And fired him. Essentially fired him on the spot. And of all people, Michael Hayes looked at me and said, Well, goddamn, don't you think you're a little harsh on them? Doop, doop, doop. And I didn't. But it was, um, yeah, that's what I did during the game. And I, I left out the part about, you know, right before Vince went out and welcomed everyone to the XFL. We were standing there, and it was kind of a surreal moment because we were standing right next to Dick Butkus. And for those of you who don't know who Dick Butkus is, Dick Butkus is a legendary name in the NFL and in football, American football. Badass, Dick Butkus. Who's uh, yeah. who, who had a contact with him to get him involved? Probably Ebersol. I don't really know. Uh, supposedly, Butkus took issue with some of the um, the gimmicky stuff that – you guys did with the XFL because he was promised it would be real football. Do you buy that? No, I think that that was his out later on that he could distance himself. Do you know what, what can you tell us about the, um, the commissioner of the XFL? I didn't, you know, other than this one, one little interaction with him, he, he was kind of, uh, not very personable. But as we're all standing there on the sideline, Michael Hayes looks at him and 
says, God damn, boy, where's history? We're watching right here. Yeah, damn, there's history. And and for those of you that know Michael Hayes put up his, his knuckles for names. Names, names to Dick Butkus who looked at Michael like, what the fuck is this long-haired hippie doing on my football field? Wearing a fanny and pack. Is, and why is he talking to me? <laughs> um. So they do the scramble, and that's a hit, even though people are getting injured. And they've got the X cam and a different way of shooting it. The football is a miss. And supposedly, the people who are, you know, NBC folks, uh, a lot of their sports people, feel like at halftime, this thing is pretty much over. Do you recall in the first game feeling like, uh, we're fucked. No, because there was an excitement. There was an energy there. And, and that, and that overcame the football. I think that to me, it did because I didn't have a chance to really watch that much of the football. I couldn't tell you if it was good or bad. Everybody that I talked to said it was horrible football the first week, but I couldn't tell you whether it was good or bad from my own personal opinion because I didn't get to watch that much of it. How much of the the city selection process um, in the Eastern Division, you've got the Chicago Enforcers, the Orlando Rage, uh, the New York Hitmen, and the Birmingham Thunderbolts. In the Western Division, you've got the San Francisco Demons, the Los Angeles Extreme, the Memphis Maniacs, and the Las Vegas Outlaws. How much of those towns and those being selected was there any consideration given to the way the WWE drew in those markets? No. No, it was more based around my understanding who had large stadiums, who either had a a college team and not a pro team, but they had a big stadium that could be utilized, or in the case of Chicago, was a good football town. Um, just major markets. But in, in Birmingham, there was a university there, I guess, that he felt they could utilize their stadium. And San Francisco had the new stadium there that they wanted to utilize. So there, there was just – it was kind of a, a hit-and-miss type deal. Yeah. And, Wherever uh, it was friendly. The uh, the draft, we're, we're bouncing around a little bit, but I'm just trying to cover anything that I can think of that may have been missed in the documentary. Do you recall anything about the XFL draft, which was uh, late October 2000? No, I really don't. Because, you know, they were getting guys who were essentially, um, you know, coming off the couch by and large. Scrubs. Yeah, and, and they made a couple of guys uh, superstars for for their league, and then they went on to have big careers uh, in the NFL, uh, you know, relatively Rod smart was, he hate me. And we've covered that, uh, in every documentary about the XFL ever. So there's plenty of information about him. Brad Maddox, of course, went on to have, uh, a pretty good Tommy you know, Maddox. Yeah. Brad Maddox. Brad, shout Brad out. Maddox was somebody else, I guess. Uh, yes. Shout out to Brad Maddox, uh, and the, all of his future endeavors. Um, chat me up. Do you recall, shooting vignettes with any of these guys and thinking, oh, this guy has it. He gets what we're trying to do. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Do you Tommy re- Maddox was so anti this shit. Everything. Yeah. Hated it. 
Well, cause he's a legit ball player. Uh, chat me up about, uh, he hate me and he hate me is the thing, the most recognizable name and the XFL gave you guys, um, you know, an opportunity to kind of spotlight their personality and for the guys to individually express themselves. So they got to customize what was on the back of the jerseys. Well, in the documentary, they cover that one of the guys wanted his jersey to say teabagger. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, did who brought that to Vince's attention? They say a WWF guy uh, brought it to his attention. Do you recall who it was? Yeah, I think it was us. <laughs> so you go to Vince and say, "Well, because we get a list, we get a list of the names." Yeah, and you're reading it is it's it was reminiscent of Vince not knowing what the hell uh, a blunt was, and, yeah. and you know, like that daddy for this pimp daddy, and didn't didn't get the 420 references and everything. Um, yeah. There was, yeah, there was teabagger. There was some that we just didn't get. Help me understand. You take this list over to Vince. It says teabagger, and you say what? I don't think we can do this. What do you mean? Well, I'll do you, uh, Vince. I don't think we can do this. Why the hell not? Well, this uh, this player here, this this number sixty nine, he. Uh, he he's put teabagger as his name on his jersey. I, I don't I don't think we can I don't think we can say that. Maybe he likes tea. What's wrong with it? Well, you know. Ah, oh, god damn it, pal! You're overreacting. Nobody's gonna get that, Mister McMahon. You know what teabagging is? Yeah, you dump the in the bag in the tea. I mean, with a lady. God damn it, Dave. Are the promos done yet? So keep the teabagger? I don't give a fuck. Talk to him. See what he wants to do. Come up with something else. You got something better? So nobody had to explain to Vince How exactly. About <laughs> How about butt pirate? How, any of those fucking better? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it just... There was so much, there was so much volume, there was so much shit that was taking place that nobody, there wasn't really a point, there wasn't a clearinghouse for all of it. You know what's so fascinating to me too is as we're talking about how just absurd all of this is. Think about it, we're, we're still in the first game. Yeah, we're in the first game, and we're not going to break down every game the same way. But, no, we're not, because uh, it didn't last that long. But let's run through this. This is happening, this first game, in February of 2001. This is right after ECW's gone under. This is a month before he buys WCW. This is five weeks before WrestleMania 17. And right in the middle of all of this, he's starting his own football league. So when we when we say things like, oh, they weren't prepared and they missed this and we decided on the flight there, they were doing a scramble, us wrestling fans, we have to at least consider, holy shit, the dude is taking over the world right now. It's no big deal if, you know, we figure out the kickoff and what if T-Bagger's okay on the fly. Yeah. I mean, I got to cut him some slack right there. That's holy shit. 
Okay, but you got your wrestling guys who are responsible for all that shit playing football. Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. he, had, he had too much. I mean, nobody's arguing that. He he bit off more than he could chew. Uh, we talked a little bit about Matt and Jr. and Lawler and all that, but we didn't talk about how Vince recruited the fucking governor of Minnesota to do commentary. And that's a pretty big deal. Uh, chat me up about how that conversation comes about, because it's not like Jesse and Vince haven't had their disputes over the years. Yeah, they didn't really like each other. Probably still don't like each other, but there was a respect factor there. And Jesse did like and did respect Dick Ebersol, and Dick had a lot of respect and, and liked Jesse as well. So I imagine that Ebersol played a big part in that as well. But it was a coup to have a sitting governor doing color commentary. Huge coup for your football on network television. So that was it. Was more of the stunting, and it was more of the fact that you had a sitting governor doing color than it was anything else. Um, does he come in for big money? I don't know. I, I have zero idea what the hell any of the money was there at all, other than you know the teams. The team that won got more than the team that lost, which is a great idea. Another excellent innovation on Vince's part. Do you remember there being significant heat about him coming in as a governor? Not that no, not really that I remember it. You know, he came in, he big dogged it. He came in with his entourage and had his security people and shit all around him and came in at the last minute unprepared as shit. He he was winging it all the way, kind of uh, like me. Uh, the hitman coach, Rusty Tillman, that you guys tried to program an angle with him and Ventura. Is that your idea, Brian's idea, Vince's idea? How does that come about? That's all Vince, man. We, Dude, we didn't try to program shit. We wanted to get out of there. Um, but Rusty was a salty guy. He, Rusty let it be known, which Vince encouraged, let it be known how much he hated the theatrics of the XFL. Um, but those guys, the coaches hated us. The coaches, God, we'd come in with a camera. They would see me and then get the fuck out of my locker room. Well, hey, fuck you, man. Um, because they were used to that. They were used to the NFL respecting their players and respecting them. And their word was gold. Uh, I remember asking one of the guys who, who was an actual stripper, a football player who was a male stripper. And I wanted him to do a dance in the locker room and the coach threw us out. You know, I went and I went and told Vince, I said, Vince coach threw us out. Wouldn't let us <laughs> do our shot. You know, and Vince would have to go and have a little meeting with them. Goddamn, guys, here's what we're trying to do. Um, it was just a constant fucking battle. We had a guy in the first game that broke his leg and was told, you will never play football again, your career is over, and you may never walk properly again. We had all this on tape, Bubba Dean. We got this great footage on tape, the whole thing, taking him in the ambulance, taking him away. And I remember taking the tape into the truck and say, hey, we've got this great story. This just happened, blah, blah, blah. Who can put this together for me? And they all just pointed fingers. They, oh, no, you got to take that over to, to the uh, truck number four on the left beside 
and go in there. Oh, no, no, that's not me. That's a, that, that's the other guys. They have to do it first, and I'll, then I'll do the audio underneath it, and then I'll get somebody to voice it over. A game's going on. We have a real story. If in the wrestling world, if we were to have anyway. that kind of story, you would walk in and go, I got this tape. Someone would grab it, and the son of a bitch would be edited in about three minutes, and you'd have a heartfelt story. Nobody wanted to do anything, especially if it was coming from the wrestling guys. So, you know, um, we're telling Vince this story the next day, and he's like, God damn, who told you? I said, Vince, I don't know their fucking names, and I'm not taking names when we're doing a live show, and I'm trying to get something on the air. I was just trying to get it done, and I'm sharing with you this, this frustration so we can solve the problem. I don't give, you know, it was the first game. I get it. People didn't know, but but how do we remedy this in the in the future? Um, it just was a lot of us versus them all, all the time throughout the the entire experience. Any memories of the other announcers? Um, you know, Jim Ross, of course, replaced Matt after week one. He became the lead guy. Were you in the limo in the famous scene they talked about where Vince? replaced Matt as the A guy and made him the B guy. I'm the one that went and got Matt and brought him to the limo. No, I wasn't seated. I wasn't in there. No, uh, you were supportive of that decision based on what you saw on the television product. I didn't see the television product. I was out. I was in the stand. So I, I couldn't tell you if you did a good job, job, bad job, indifferent job. I have no idea. Any memories of working with anybody else after Vince was critical of the NFL using women report on the uh, broadcast he hired uh, a lady named dara torres and uh i fired her the first night <laughs> i did uh you got a story there well i told it already she was on the the 10 yard line with et doing an interview while the game was going on no but i mean about the firing the backlash <laughs> was there any was there any pushback when you do that from the NBC side about you can't fire a woman and yada, 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 or she's a celebrity or. Um, uh, a little bit. Cool. Ever saw what ever saw was not happy with my decision or my, my, my knee jerk reaction, I guess is how it was put. Uh, Dick wasn't happy with it, but Dick, Dick did agree that they probably needed to go home that yeah. day and sent him home. He, he told him you have, he told him you guys have the uh, day off on Sunday. And that's when we made the debut of the uh, next in stands reporter, Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephanie McMahon. And the entire audience is chanting slut, 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 slut through the entire fucking interviews. <laughs> and I got the I got the directors in my ear and my headset going, what 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 are they chanting? Hey, this is great shit. This crowd is, is really great. What are they chanting? Um um they're they're chanting slut. <laughs> what? They're chanting slut. Well get the slut out of there. I said, she's the one holding the microphone. Oh my God. Well, why, why, oh, my God, why are they calling Vince's daughter a slut? I said, if you cared to pay attention to our programming, you would know. She plays one on TV. So we're taking Stephanie from a heel 
on the WWE product to the XFL product, and she's but, smiling, bubbly face. Hi, I'm Stephanie McMahon here with the XFL, and we've got some really great fans here. Sut, 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 sut. Fuck you, whore. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was fun. Any good uh, Mike Adamley stories? You know, man, hey, Mike Adamley gets a bad rap. Mike Adamley, great, great guy. I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, his his recent uh, health patch. Yeah. Yeah, because Mike was a great guy. I knew Mike Adamley from way back when in the 80s doing a boxing uh, pilot with us with Tex Cobb. And Mike was always a great guy, easy as shit to deal with, a great athlete. But Mike was fun, man. Mike was just one of the boys. He fit in great. He was a great sideline reporter. Um, was a decent play-by-play guy too. But we had, you know, we had coach involved. Uh, coach did a lot of sideline stuff and did some color and different things. Um, those guys were fun. I mean, all, all those guys. Brian Bosworth. He was cool as shit too. He was a lot of fun. He was a, a color guy for uh, some of the games. You mentioned him a minute ago. Lawler was involved, and he was uh, a part of this process, but he actually has his blow-up with the WWE during the XFL season and leaves. Do you remember that being an issue, or did that not matter at this point? At that point, it didn't really matter. It was probably for the better. Yeah. Because the less wrestling WWF that we had on there, then you know, obviously the NBC people were ecstatic. Good. Thank God. No more puppies. Uh, one of the XFL things that they tried to strive for was they didn't want artificial turf. They wanted real grass. Do you know who had a hard on for grass? It seems like a silly stance to take. You almost made me do a spit take there. <laughs> I I don't know. I I couldn't tell you. That was probably a butkus it's, thing. Well, my question. Back in my day, we played on grass. Well, I thought it might be a Vince thing because Vince is so hung up on little details. Like it's, it's not a, a belt. It's a title or a championship. championship yeah. Sorry. It's not a hospital. It's a medical facility. Shit like that. Yeah. Does he have would this grass, this grass AstroTurf thing seems like a Vinceism. It, I, I don't really know. Frankly, it could have been simply that all of the uh, stadiums that we got were all grass. So make a big deal out of it. Um, that's, that's a guess. Th- there was lots of talk about how they might try to m- make the rules different and to allow the game to be more violent and to be more innovative. But ultimately, a lot of the rules wound up being just like uh, all the other football that we're kind of used to. Do you remember there being a conversation, and they kind of alluded to this on the show, when... Vince gave them, them being NBC, the rule book, and then NBC saying, hey, this isn't what we promised. And then Vince it was saying, more of the coaches. And Vince saying, well, well and, we can just change it. Yeah. But that was more of the coaches and the personnel that were, were kind of shitting on it. They, they didn't want to deviate from football being football. And Vince was more interested in kind of borrow. I mean, I guess the format of this is – Let's make, you know, the excitement of football present, but let's turn the volume up with the raunchiness of WWE. Yeah, it was it was to make it just take it over the top. 
whose um whose idea was putting a camera in the women's locker room? Men's. I mean, but there's no way to pay that off, is there? That's pretty much what we all said, yeah. And when you say, hey, we can't pay that off because we can't show, you know, coin purses on TV, what, what, why does he do it anyway? Because they thought that the, the payoff was cute and funny and everyone would forgive him because it's Rodney Dangerfield and, and Dick thought that was great. It's humor. So Dick, Dick was for that. Yeah. Uh, did he have the hookup with Rodney? Yeah, I think I was Dick. Yeah. Did you produce? That feels like something you would produce. No, nothing to do with it. I was gone by then. I was done with the XFL by that point. Thank God. Um. Do you think? Was, do you think? I think Sahadi did some of that. Do you think Vince ever even considered the rules and the rule book thing when he announced this? Or at that point, was he batting a thousand so hard for so long? But he just thought, fuck it, I'll figure it out, and just totally dismissed it. I think he thought, fuck it, I'll figure it out. Isn't that crazy? Well, you're a billionaire. You can do that. Well, he, he had that new money, boy, and it was dripping on him. Um, let's talk about money. You always love talking about money. The, uh, the quarterbacks earn $5,000 a week, and kickers earn $3,500 a week. And all the other uniform players earn $4,500 a week. And players on a winning team receive a bonus of $2,500. Um, you know, some guys will hear this and say, oh, that's nothing like the money they make in the NFL. But these are players who weren't in the NFL. Now, some of them had opportunities after because of this. But this is big money to a lot of those guys who previously would have just you know, not had an opportunity to make this type of income. These are guys that are driving UPS trucks and delivering UPS packages and getting off work at seven o'clock at night and hauling ass to practice. Yeah. So for an extra $4,500 a week. Correct. These were guys that were on loading docks and, and or not doing anything. Whose idea was the million-dollar game? This feels very 1990s because that's when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire first came to prominence and Survivor was a big cash prize. And a million dollars feels like a very 90s thing. And here we are in the very early 2000s. And, of course, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, their version of the Super Bowl in the XFL was the million-dollar game, with the concept being that the players on the winning team would split a million dollars, which is... Not a million dollars per player, about $25,000 per player. They'd still get paid their normal money, and they'd get a win bonus, but the win bonus would be roughly $25,000 per player. Do you remember whose idea that is? It feels like part of McMahon's millions type ideas. It, it was Vince. It was Vince that, that wanted to put the dollar amount on it, and million dollars sounded big. Basil DeVito's idea was just, hey, the big game at the end of the year. Yeah, That was, Bas- that was Basil's idea. Just called the big game at the end of the year. Boy, that looked great on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's like a million-dollar game. So give it some panache. 
Uh, do you remember there being a time in the season where you heard that any players were trying to renegotiate players, announcers, anything like that? No, God, no. Did you hear the rumor and innuendo that uh, once Vince closed the league, that the players who wanted to receive their championship ring, it was taken out of their check? Uh, I did hear that, yeah. Does that surprise you? No. At that point, it was, man, you really want a ring, pal? I'll tell you where to order them. Uh, at that point, it was a done deal, man. It was over. It's dead. Next. Uh, there's rumor that the players have to pay for their own insurance, too. Is that true? I don't know. I really don't know. I find that fascinating that they had to pay for their own insurance, I don't know um, if they did or didn't. So let's let's talk about some rumor and innuendo. The gas in this generator is prominently discussed on the documentary oh, where oh. the show goes off the air week two and they lose the feed and all power's gone and nobody knows exactly what the fuck's going on and eventually they discover Someone forgot to put gas in the generator. I take it you were at this game? I was. What happened? Los Angeles Coliseum. Well, so much happened at that game. Um, yeah, man, everything just went, everything died. All of a sudden, we, we lose communication. We've got our headsets don't work. Nothing's working. Um, and... I'm in the stadium and I, I run out to the back and everything's dark. <laughs> you know, there's no people are all running around like chickens with their heads cut off and no one can figure out. We have no power. We got nothing. And it, we were dark. It, it felt like forever, but we were dark. Well, I want to say close to 10, 15 minutes maybe, but they were bringing the, um, the semis, the, the trailers, right? Not the trailer, you know, the tractor, they were bringing those over and siphoning gas out and, and shit, putting it into generators. They ran out of gas. The one job, what the generator's job is to have gas and give power to the production. And somebody didn't put gas in the generator. And that somebody who ultimately caught the blame, they kind of allude to nobody wanting to take the blame on the documentary, whether it was WWF or NBC or what. Do you remember who took the L there? Well, it's the production. The, the generator guy is the one who takes the heat, in my opinion. But the, the production, whoever was in charge of the production and the generator, the, the, the guy that is in charge of the generator takes the blame. You got one job. Give power. And you take the thing that makes the power and you take that away and you're dead. But it was, that was a boy, you talk about finger pointing. That was a lot of finger pointing that day too. But that was the same day we had a, we had a riot in the stands, a, a full fledged riot between rival gangs, the bloods and the crips or something like that. I was in the middle of it with Stephanie McMahon and Pat Hayden, former quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. Had to get her out of there alive. 
And I went in and stormed into Vince's office afterwards, happily to still be breathing. And through my headset, put Stephanie in the back room, told her to stay there and told Vince I wasn't going back out there. And I'm the one that took the call from Scott Sassa from NBC uh, wanting to speak to Dick because Jennifer Lopez was in New York at Saturday Night Live. And Jennifer Lopez was a big get for Saturday Night Live. And our game went into uh, multiple overtimes. Well, what people didn't love were being blocked from watching the rest of this game. So the XFL calls an audible after two minutes of dead air. They go to the backup game. And this is the game where... Matt is now the backup announcer, and uh, he's still back on television. Um, This throws chaos in place for Saturday Night Live, which was supposed to go on after the local news. So your lineup looks like XFL, 10 o'clock news, or 11 o'clock news, as it were, and then Saturday Night Live. And that gets bumped. Uh, And this is when Jennifer Lopez is a really hot act. Uh, Lauren Michaels, the uh, creator of Saturday Night Live is flipping out and it doesn't do the great ratings that everybody had hoped for after the first week and we'll talk about the first week ratings in just a minute but do you remember the panic of kind of everything going wrong in this week too because week one was criticized as not being very good football and not being very good announcing and it still did dominant ratings Uh, you know did very very well but by week two, it seems like the football is a great deal better. But now you have this generator snafu. So as I like to say, this whole thing starts to feel a little snake bit. Um, but at this point, now with the generator going out, we've got an incredible game. But there's a player injury. We go to one overtime. We go to two overtime. So you normally want this. But in this particular situation, since you you know are up against it time-wise... This can't be good. What is the feeling amongst you and the rest of the television folks when this is happening? Is there any consideration for Saturday Night Live or where you are on the clock, or is everybody enamored with the quality of the game? Well, I was in the production trailer with Vince and Dick, and they had their own production trailer separate from everybody else. It looked like a regular control room, and they could talk to everybody from there, but they were separate from the director and all those folks. And Vince has a calmness about him when shit is breaking down. He just becomes uber calm and uber in control, and you can't rattle him. Ebersol can be a little bit more animated and, and can get a little tense, but Dick also has a strange calmness about him. I was just happy that I didn't have to go back out um, and be in that crowd anymore. I had been sent out one time to go tell the referees to speed the fucking game up. No, no, you're not going to just run past that. I know this story. We got to share this one. So start that over. (laughs) Well, there was a feeling that the referee, that the game was just moving too slow. And so I was asked to go down on the field by Mr. Ebersol and tell the referees to quote, speed this fucking game along. Just get it moving. Keep it moving. Tell the guys to keep moving, speed the motherfucker up. And the referee just stood there. Cause I ran onto the field and just looked at me and says, who the fuck are you? I said, this is coming from Dick and Vince. 
says, I don't give a fuck. I said, well, hey, I'll let him know, but I told you to speed this fucking game along. And I'd jog off the field, and um, I remember the referees wanting to meet with Vince and Dick afterwards. But they weren't they were none too happy being told to speed the game along. And Vince and Dick were none too happy with the referees not speeding the game along. They just wanted to pick it up, move it, tell these guys to get their ass moving. Stop calling timeouts. Let's go. We got TV to produce. It's in a goddamn game. It's television. So this game that goes to double overtime causes Saturday Night Live to start 42 minutes after it's supposed to. Uh, and this doesn't bode well um, for the way NBC would handle this. It doesn't do great ratings. Uh, the first week, there's been a report that was out there, and they actually championed this on the uh, documentary that it's not technically untrue, but it's not technically true either, or I guess honest. They say that 54 million people watched it, and that does mean that 54 million people watched at least one minute of it, uh, but the actual number is closer to 14 million, which is still a lot bigger than folks expected. Do you remember when that rating comes in, what the feeling was like? Was everybody shocked, uh, excited? Euphoria. Yeah. Euphoria. God damn, we did it. Fuck the naysayers. But then week two happened. Well, and, and week two was a better game, which is which is really fascinating. But after week one, you know, Vince knows he's got some bugs to work out. He knows the ball wasn't great. It's a little bit of a blowout. It's 19 nothing. Uh, he makes the change from the announcer. Uh, so there's lots of little things to work out. Um, do you remember at any time after that first game, there being any heat on his over the top pronunciation of the XFL? Like did people think he was trying to get himself over or is that, uh, no people just kind of laughing. I mean, that's Vince. That's Vince being being Vince. Yeah. But the, you know, well, while all that, that second game was going on and, uh, it didn't help things. I think JR's call of, well, J-Lo in New York for Saturday Night Live. Well, we don't want to keep J-Lo waiting because um, Dick kept feeding them. Goddamn, tell them Jennifer Lopez is coming up on Saturday Night Live. Um, I'm not sure Jim's delivery and sarcasm on that help matters either. Um. Let's talk about those week one ratings again, because we've talked about ratings quite a bit here on the show in the past. Um, So it actually comes in at a 9.5, but it falls as the game goes on. Normally it goes up uh, for a good game, but this is not a great game. So it opens at 11.7. About an hour in, it drops to 10.1, which is like a couple million viewers. And by the end of the game, it's eight. So it averages out to a nine and a half. And supposedly they had been promising advertisers a four and a half. So it's more than double. Um, And, you know, obviously you don't know that right at the press conference right after. But Vince did make some headlines after that first game because he at the press conference, he asked the, the press corps, was there enough sex on the telecast? Do you remember that being a topic where people were kind of shocked that this person who was trying to be mainstream and a league owner 
would say something like, was there enough sex on the telecast? Well, there was so much anticipation and there was so much in the press and media about, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to have women fornicating on television. They're promising all this crap. And there was so much grandiose bullshit going on. That was Vince's way of, of just kind of fucking with the media. He, that's Vince. You know, everybody was talking about what the WWF will do. Oh my God, how far will they go? And that was his way of saying, did we go far enough for you? Yeah. That's all that was. It was just kind of fucking with the media. Well, somewhere in there, they also asked if the game was fixed or not. And Vince took great offense to that. Uh, he, he made reference to the fact that it was an honest game and honest commentary and lots of honesty, which you don't get in most sports. Do you remember there being any sort of discussion uh, about whether or not people would wonder if this was quote unquote real since wrestling is fake? Well, there's tons of discussion about it. There was the general feeling that with WWE involved that we were going to try and orchestrate the games. And he tried to battle that, but no matter what you do, there's still going to be that perception that because it's wrestling, because it's Vince McMahon, well, it can't be on the up and up. So yeah, he took offense to that. He did take that one personally. Uh, there's this perception that nobody came to the games and a lot of the games were, were doing really, really well ticket sale wise. Uh, but at some point, I forget exactly which week. Uh, The crowd is not awesome. And Jim Ross opens with the line that's similar to 30,000 were expected, but Mother Nature has flexed her muscles uh, to excuse why there was no crowd there in the weather. When did you know, well, we've jumped the shark? Well, that was, but that was actually accurate. It was, um, my God, it was, it was like minus. 500 degrees, raining, sleeting. It was terrible. The fact that we even had a game was insane. So that was factual. It was, uh, we discussed canceling the game. And how do you cancel an XFL game when you're talking about it's going to be more violent, it's going to be crazier, and all this other shit, you know, and, and you're going to cancel for weather? So that was quickly thrown out, but, um, that was pretty much true. But after the, you know, it, it, but at the same time, yeah, it, it did drop off dramatically afterwards. People just, the football sucked and the football did get better as time went on, but it was just too little too late. <coughs> There's a report in the the book, the long bomb that the XFL sent a press release out saying that their second season would include them featuring players as young as 18 years old. Do you remember there being a conversation about signing kids right out of high school to play football? No, not not anything I was involved in, no. Vince did want to, Vince really did want to have a second season. Yeah, and, felt- and they skipped that in the show, too. It's worth mentioning that even after the NBC pulls out, um, he thought he could continue it with UPN and planned on going forward and in the documentary they skip over that and they and they just highlight and they kind of shape it that 
Well, Dick was such good friends with Vince that he convinced him to stop. But the reality is Vince was going to march forward for season two until UPN ultimately said, hey, if you do it, then we're going to have to cut back some of the SmackDown. And that forced his hand and he doubled down on wrestling. Is that the way you remember it? No. How do you remember it? I remember it simply as Vince really wanted to do a second season. And he was actually defiant about doing it and being successful in spite of NBC to basically say, you know what, you should have stuck with me. But there just wasn't any interest elsewhere. It wasn't, I I don't, I've never heard that, that we were going to cut back from SmackDown or anything. They they would never do that for the number one rated show on their net. Well, we're going to take the number one rated, think of how silly that sounds. We're going to cut back on the number one rated show on our network if you want to, but we'll do your football that didn't do that well. No, there just wasn't any interest. And people felt that the experiment was okay. It was a fun experiment, but thank you, no. There wasn't any money in it. Cut your losses. Where do you think it ranks um, as far as all-time worst television? Oh, it's pretty high up there. TV Guide in 2002 put it at number three. Do you think that's accurate? That's fair. Why do you think it's so bad? Why do you think that's fair if you were just saying that the football was decent? I said the football got decent at the end. But leading up to that, there there was so much miscommunication. There was so much different agendas on everybody. Vince wanted to do it one way. Dick wanted to do it another way. Uh, the NBC directors directed their way when Timmy Walbert or WWF directors would come in and try and help out, they would do it Vince's way. And it was a mishmash. There was no consistency. They were constantly trying something else. Um, you talk about jumping the shark, jump the shark with the, the camera in the cheerleaders dressing room. (laughs) It was horrible. Um, is there a more Vince story than the Honda? Typical Vince. Now let's run through it. A lot of people don't know the story, but the, uh, Honda had signed on to be a big sponsor of the XFL. And when the ratings decline starts and it becomes apparent that, uh, Oh, this thing is not something we want. Honda pulls their ad order. So the XFL and NBC enjoyed some sponsorship from Honda, but pretty quickly Honda pulls out. And when they do, Vince is none too happy. So he has an idea. Tell everybody what this idea is. Put a Honda Civic on the 50 yard line and blow it up. But but hang on now. It wasn't just that they pulled out. They made they made some statements about the raunchiness of the league and they they spoke ill of the XFL as to why they were pulling out in the product, which which pissed him off. We didn't it's one thing to say, hey, we're not gonna we're gonna pull our advertising and then don't don't diss the product. So as soon as they did the diss, okay, you want to diss? We'll show you who can diss, pal. We're going to put a car on the 50-yard line, and we're going to blow it up. You know, when Vince, uh, the limo that Vince was in that got blown up that time, that was actually a Honda limo. 
No, it's not. Yeah, huh? Because he holds a grudge and he said, I want a Honda limo. So I can finally blow up my Honda. You're making that up. Listen. What's my line? God damn it. I didn't lie. Yeah, I didn't lie. The facts just changed. The truth changed. Well, the facts, whatever, truth, whatever, you know what I mean, you know. Um, so he wants to blow this car up and Eversol steps in and shuts it down because he does business with Honda for other NBC sports <laughs> and he tells Vince that he can't do it. So do you remember what Vince does? I don't refresh my memory. He has Lawler make a remark after a kicker misses a field goal and he says, that kicker is as reliable as a Honda. And yeah. Honda and NBC were furious. Do you recall any sort of pushback and did that strain the relationship? I mean, it feels like Vince is fucking with Dick's other money here. I I think the relationship was strained from the minute we went live on that first show, man. It, it was strained. There was... It was us and them. They hated us. We hated them. Yeah. And anybody that, that wants to paint a rosier picture of of something else is is just simply not true because they they despised that Vince McMahon and the WWF was fucking with their sacred football. And that these wrestling people were coming in and telling them how to shoot things. We're network television. You're wrestling. And we were like, hey, fuck you. We're the number one um, show on cable right now. We're drawing these kind of numbers. And uh, and we did have the Midas touch at that point. Was there, um, it's worth mentioning, before this thing circles the drain, they get the lowest rating for a sports event in prime time in history ever. Um, so people are way, 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 way done with this. I bet uh, bowling's gotten worse. You think that was on network TV? Yeah. ABC does bowling, don't they? No. Sunday? Okay. No. Let's talk about money. No, you don't want to, but it's time to. When did the boys start to feel like their money was being used to subsidize football? I don't think they ever really did because it never was. Oh, fuck you. Come on. No, you got to understand, man. We were red hot at that time. Everybody was making good money. And the partnership with NBC was it was a 50 50 partnership so it wasn't like we were bankrolling the whole damn thing so the guys think that vince is okay to take these kind of losses and it won't affect their pay at all well it wasn't affecting their pay so there was no reason to think that it wasn't like all of a sudden whoa 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 whoa! this is the wrestling business there's no reason to think that well if they were it wasn't known because they weren't their paydays were good everybody was making good money at that time business was great you know, there was a time back in the attitude, not the attitude era, but the, the new generation era, whatever the hell that was, where coming off of that WBF and all that stuff where guys' money was affected. 
But at this time, man, that, it didn't happen. And he made that very apparent. It's it's kind of like after the that first weekend of games when we all flew back all night long to be in Atlanta for Monday Night Raw, get in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and Michael Hayes drunk trying to light a cigarette on the tarmac, begging Vince to push the production meeting back. And Vince was adamant that he would not push the production meeting back because of the XFL, because he would not allow anyone to ever come back to him and say, you're neglecting the WWF product for the XFL. So we made every, that was shit. That was one of the only times periods where Vince was actually on time to production meetings because he was going to prove that the XFL isn't affecting us and, and it's not going to affect our product. Um, did you guys pull the rock off of shows for him to come introduce that second game and why do you think that was necessary for the rock to be the guy there i think he was already there doing some stuff in uh, la it was just an easy call to it, was e- it was easy and he was the hottest thing going at that time lots of people don't know this story but uh there's lots of rumor and innuendo that vince mcmahon when it was all said and done lost his ass on the xfl not true cross set the record straight tell us what really happened well, after all said and done, I'm, I'm talking all told, after everything was liquidated and everything sold off and what have you, actually were made a little bit of money, uh, very little, but it was almost to break even making a little bit of money, but it wasn't, it wasn't a loss, which was kind of a relief more than, more than anything because the the thinking was, man, you made all this investment in this deal. You lost a shitload of money. At the end of the day, after all was said and done, whew, dodged it, a major bullet. It's reported that the WWF and NBC lost roughly $70 million on this. And you're saying, which is $35 million each, and you're saying not the case. After all said and done, no. What did they sell off that brought in that kind of money? Well, they just sold off everything. But after all the deals is, and everything was done, I, you know, I'm I don't know. I wasn't privy to the thing. I can only tell you what I was told. And after all was said and done, where they came back, they're a public company. You can go back and look and see that at the end of the, at the end of the day, for those for that time period, that okay, hey, shit, we didn't take a bath. We actually made a little money. We appreciate you listening to the show. And hanging in here, we don't have any extra kernel nuggets. We'll see you next week, folks, right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bros. Have you listened to Tony's show yet? I don't listen to that shit. Welcome to the X. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.